I've got an email that says uh, I have to go to anti-money laundering, combating the financing of terrorism training. Did you get this email, Allah? Mm, I need I need to check. Uh, have you been uh, funding terrorism or laundering money recently? No, definitely not. I, well, I left some uh, I left some notes in my trousers when they were in the wash, but that doesn't count. That's not money laundering, is it? Uh, I definitely wouldn't do any of that. But I well. Who's who's it from? Why do you have? Why do you have to do it? It's from, the, it's from the compliance department oh. at the bank. Hmm. Uh, we work at a bank. Well, maybe we should um, ask. Maybe we should ask them what it's well, about. Because everyone's against money laundering and combating, and well, everyone's against the financing of terrorism. But I'm against. Why, yeah, definitely. I'm pretty firmly. I don't like those things. But, well, why the compliance? Because everyone at the bank would be against those things, but the compliance department is uh, is running trainings to make sure that we know what we're doing on that. We'll have to find out. Let's let's get a few of them in here to ask them about it. M- meanwhile. Meanwhile. While exciting that, stuff. We have a new podcast coming up, a new series of podcasts called Future Europe. It's coming up in the future, isn't it? It, it will be online pretty soon. By the time you uh, listen to this, you might actually be able to go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you listen, Acast, which is a, a great uh, Swedish app for podcasts, um, and listen to Future Europe, our new podcast series. We love podcasts so much that this podcast, which is excellent, was not enough. We decided to do another one. And the, novel, and, and the next one, this future Europe, is less about finance and more about the real economy, more about uh, what's happening in uh, exciting companies all across Europe. Every one of these episodes will be about um, a different project, a different company or uh, a different road or a different river that's being cleaned up environmentally somewhere in Europe, one in each of the 28 EU countries. And they'll all be in the form of interviews with people who are involved. You won't hear me and you won't hear Allah, which Mm. I know, yeah, it's going to be hard for you to come to terms with that. But you'll just hear people who are actually doing things as opposed to people who are just making podcasts. Uh, And then you'll also hear the sounds of some of the things that they're doing. So you'll hear a lot of that kind of thing. And then people saying, I am so-and-so, and I work on this. It's really fantastic. We've got a few of them already ready to go, and they're really great. I love so, them. So, so look them. Let's look it up on, on iTunes. Uh, search for Future Europe from the European Investment Bank and subscribe to it, uh, as well as, of course, subscribe to the Dictionary of Finance. Comply with that request, and you will be very happy. I've always thought compliance makes you happy. Welcome to another uh, episode of A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank, which is on compliance. Mm, we have to be on our best behavior today. Yeah, we're very well behaved. We won't do anything uh, at all naughty, uh, because then we would be punished by both uh, Sophie Raz and Branimir Berkovich. Sophie is the uh, compliance officer in the corporate division of the compliance directorate at the European Investment Bank. And uh, when you're not making people comply, do you uh, 
Do you train other particular beings to make them comply? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I comply. I make my horses compliant. I make mm-hmm. sure that they stay on track, you know. Who's, uh, who's more likely to comply, a, a horse or a banker? A horse. Really? Definitely. <laughs> oh, those bankers. We'll get, we'll get to all the things that the, the, the bankers do and how they have to comply in a few minutes. With the carrot and stick, I, I presume. <laughs> oh, really? Is that a horse or a donkey? But anyway, Pranamir, head of tax compliance unit here at the bank. Um, that sounds like the kind of guy who uh, likes to spend his time out in the open air. Sure, sure. Coming from Croatia, I'm passionate about sailing. I that do, was very smooth, wasn't I it? I do you a like lot that? of sailing to try to see the horizon more clearly and uh, not get anything in my way. Uh-huh. Are you qualified as a, as a captain? You're allowed to go I'm qualified as a skipper as for a, skipper, a okay. boat up to 15 meters and 12 tons of uh, weight or dead weight, whatever it's called. Is this uh, so that you can go sailing from island to island, all these tax havens and things like that, checking them out for compliance? I'm allowed to, to get up to 12 miles off the coastline. So unfortunately, I cannot sail up to the Bahamas or the other exotic palm tree islands. <laughs> oh, really? How do, you, how do you qualify to go really long distances then? I don't know. We have to take a special, uh, special course and we have to have as skippers a certain number of hours working on bigger, larger ships and so on. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'm a hobby sailor. <laughs> ah, okay. So bigger yachts, we should actually refer our, our listeners to the, uh, the episode we did on uh, collateral where uh, one of our experts from the bank was talking about uh, yachts and other things that can be taken as collateral uh, on bank loans. But anyway, our listeners will probably already have uh, listened to that one. It's the one with Tom Cruise in the title. Go back and look at it on iTunes or all the other places where you can find it. So, Sophie, let's start with you. What does compliance really mean? What are you complying with when you are in compliance? That's a very large, big question to answer. Um, okay, so how do I start? Um, I think in the in the world of banking and the finance industry, uh, compliance is quite new. I mean, it started really like in 2005, something like that, or really to become, let's say, systematic in the banking industry. And uh, it was mainly linked to um, the anti-money laundering and countering financing of terrorism directive, the third one at the time. And the idea was really to say, okay, there is a compliance risk. And the compliance risk, which is broader, is really the risk of not complying with regulations, laws, code of conduct, etc. And stemming from that, then the institution could fail and in failing, it could have reputational risk, legal risk stemming from that. And so what can we do to try to control that? And the idea was really to put in place some uh, people who have knowledge of the business, but at the same time also know what is the regulatory environment around them. So before this, the banks didn't do compliance? They, they did, but not in a structured way, I think. It was more... Um, the management uh, itself that was really um, assessing what would be the rules to follow and and would tell their staff, you follow the rules. But no one was really in the middle to analyze really what those rules meant for the institution and how you could translate that into processes and procedures. So the compliance people are, are taking all the regulations and saying these are the ones that apply to us and here's how we should apply them every day? Yes, yeah, it's more or less that. Sometimes um, it's a mix a little bit with legal because sometimes you have the legal department doing the analysis and the 
um, all the preparatory work, let's say, and then the compliance steps in to say, okay, now we know this is what we have to apply and this is how we suggest to apply it and this is how we're going to control that it's actually effectively working and it's applying. And, and control is an important word for compliance because we are a control function. But Brennan, is, is compliance only about compliance with, uh, with regulations and laws that are externally set on financial institutions or is it also... Um, about complying with um, rules and principles that a, a bank or an institution sets for itself? Well, it's both. And as Sophie explained, she explained the first step, and then it has been expanded to include also compliance with internal regulations, internal standards, which are set either by the shareholders, by the owners of the bank, uh, to live up to market expectations and standards. And very often, institutions which care about their reputation and which care about being at the forefront, such as the AB, they take it another notch up and they start, they are ahead of the standards and they, they strive to keep their businesses and their operations and transactions compliant with the laws and regulations, but also internally with, with internal mm-hmm. rules. And we had uh, an episode uh, some weeks back on uh, KYC, Know Your client know your customer know your counterpart in the case of the bank which is kind of when the the client comes into the bank that's that function but then compliance is also presumably about looking at the client over time and making sure they are not contravening the anti-money laundering things sure. and so on what does that involve what are we looking for there well, I think that the KYC is a very important element and the whole process should be seamless. So it starts with the first contact with the client, which is in the hands of the front office or, or the people who are out there discussing operations with the client. It goes through the KYC office, which collects all the important information to know all the details on the clients. And then it lands on the lap of uh, the compliance unit, which is there to check whether there are any red flags, any integrity concerns with the clients, with the operation, with the ownership structure, with the whole setup surrounding the uh, operation that we're financing, the project, and the individuals involved in this project. So if there are any red flags, and f- perhaps the presence of politically exposed persons could be a red flag, then compliance is there to provide an opinion, opine, and recommend how to mitigate any such risks. What's a politically exposed person? Well, that would be a person who is directly affiliated or linked to a government uh, position, a minister, a president of a country, a governor of a central bank. So all the officials who might appear, who may appear in ownership structures, which raises a serious concern, a concern related to corruption, to some illegal or, illegal or illicit practices. Mm-hmm. And, and so most of the, um, most of the concerns uh, that compliance deal with, uh, these are related to uh, anti-money laundering, you mentioned, uh, financing terrorism, corruption, are there other areas that we're concerned about? I think this is one aspect of compliance also. I mean, the, the fact that we uh, look at integrity issues and, and risks that are linked to money laundering, fancy of terrorism, but also tax um, and, 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 the, and the same. And, and compliance is there to analyze and really go thoroughly into the whole context of the operation, etc., and to 
raise awareness to the governing bodies for them to take an informed decision. So compliance is never there to take a decision on behalf of the institution. Mm -hmm. We're there to help and to assist and to open the eyes, you know, on, on what's going on there. But that's one aspect of the compliance uh, work. I mean, mm -hmm. we also work a lot on everything that has to do with ethics and code of conduct, internal behavior of staff. And, and that's a, a very big role of, uh, of the compliance department right. as I, well. I was going to ask you about that because to those of us who have ever watched a, a thriller about a, a bank heist or anything like that, the detective at some point always says it's an inside job. So you have to keep an eye on the, the people who are working at the bank. How do, you, how do you do that, though? What kinds of things are you looking for? I mean, it's it's uh, we have first of all again. Um, I mean, compliance is a very procedure-driven um, job, <laughs> so we we are there also to first put in place procedures and, and and processes again, and those procedures and and for example, let's talk about like the whistleblowing policy, or we have the codes of conduct. We have a code of conduct for the staff for the management committee, for example, and. Compliance is there to monitor that these code of conduct and these whistleblowing policies, for example, are properly uh, implemented. And whenever a, an issue is raised, and sometimes an issue that is raised directly by staff members, or sometimes compliance department find out, you know, through uh, controls or checks or or through uh, internal audit reports or or whatever, then these issues have to be dealt with and investigated. And they have to be investigated in the context of the rules. So you have to take the rules and you have to check, you know, whether there is a breach of the code of conduct and then what would be the sanction, let's say, when you go all the way through the process. So it's an investigative job as mm. well. Now, uh, I read in the news all, all the time about uh, different uh, people and companies who are put on uh, sanctions lists uh, by by the U.S. or Europe, uh, uh, and who who are supposedly people and companies that we're not supposed to be doing business with anymore. How do we, you know, the, the EIB and, and and any large bank they have, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of uh, of of clients and uh, and people behind those those clients. How do you? keep track of uh, whether whether you're actually dealing with these um, people on the sanctions list how, how does it work is that you, you go to you go to work you open you open the newspaper and you see another name put, put on the list and you go through the bank's database or how does it work well i think there is a difference between the approval stage and the monitoring phase which comes after an operation has been approved so at the approval stage we are checking names of all individuals the key persons in a particular transaction meaning the CEO, the key persons of a company, the shareholders, uh, the people sitting on the board of directors and so on. And all these names are scanned and, and ma matched against the sanctions lists. So it's, it's a quite uh, comprehensive assessment that we make, quite, quite a burdensome, a lot of legwork in, involved. But then again, the role of compliance is to protect the bank's reputation. And uh, we do all the checks that we can to make sure that we don't have any presence of any individuals who could be associated in a negative way to the operations of the bank. If there are any persons who are on the sanctions list, one would check how remote or close they are to the operation, one would check what the sanctions list are about, what is the capacity of this person, and then an assessment is provided as well as a recommendation, perhaps a mitigant, to see whether 
uh, this operation would still qualify as, as acceptable or not in the presence of a sanctioned individual. I think what's maybe important as well is the fact that, um, I don't know if you know the first and second and third line of defense uh, uh, roles, let's Tell say. Us, but <laughs> so normally uh, the first line of defense are really the, the, the people who are doing uh, the, the job of a banker, right? The bankers, the, in, in the case of the EIB, it's mostly the loan officers, but not only. So the ones who really are in contact with the, the, the customers and, and know their customers. And so they are the first line of detection of these type of issues as well. So they are the ones who would be raising these issues firstly uh, to the compliance department. And the compliance department is as a second line of defense. And then as a third line, you have the independent, um, let's say, supervision um, of, of, a, of a financial institution. But so even though compliance is there to track these sanctions um, entities and sanctions individuals, it's the, the role of the first line of defense is very important there as well. So I think it's important to mention that. So you mentioned the idea of compliance risk. Mm -hmm. Presumably, the risks that can occur if you don't do the compliance or if you don't do it right. What what happens to a bank that fails in its compliance somehow? Well, I mean, the, probably the greatest risk of all banks is reputational risk. I mean, once your reputation is down, it's very difficult to build it back up again. And it can take a few things to, to bring it down. Uh, but of course, like a, a bank uh, in the industry would have also the regulators and the regulator uh, is very strong and is getting stronger and stronger. You can ask any bank on the market. I think uh, they will they will say that. And of course, um, the, the the regulator will be able to check and verify. And if there is a breach um, at the level of the financial institution in terms of, for example, because their procedure is not sufficiently robust, then they can they the, the consequences can be very very bad in terms also financially. I mean, they can have fines. Uh, they, it can go all the way to the retrieval of their license, for example, and uh, and so it can be uh, it can be a very strong, um, let's say, a push forward for them to do things right. So. And the regulator in the case of Europe would be the European Central Bank, or would there be first be the national bank would be the regulator. Well, for you mean for the European Investment Bank? Or no, for banks in for Europe. For banks in, in general. general. So they have uh, their own national regulators. So depending on where the banks are licensed, let's say let's say here in Luxembourg, for example. Uh, they would have a license uh, with the CSSF, which is the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier, which is their main regulator. How bad would the, the compliance, uh, you know, we're, still, we're talking about nice things here, but let's talk for a moment about something <laughs> bad. How bad would you have to be in terms of a, a breach of compliance for your license to be taken away? I think it would have to be very bad. I mean, um, I think the regulators have become stricter and stricter over the year. At least that's what I've seen. I uh, was in the private sector before. And uh, and they have become much stricter now uh, also because their reputation is at stake as well, I think. But uh, I think you would have to first have major breaches and repetitive breaches. So. Uh, the regulator would have to warn you once, ask you to correct it, and then twice, three times, four times, start with a fine, and really in the end, um, you would you would lose your license. But uh, you would have, uh, I would think, as an institution, many chances to get it back on track first. So, Branimir, tell me if it's if it's true. I, I would imagine that in a in a financial institution. There should be quite a bit of tension between the the the, the first line and and compliance. The, the the loan officers who want to 
get money out to basically whoever is willing to take it then to uh, to pay it back to them and to people concerned with compliance who are you know uh, creating all kinds of hurdles and uh, disturbances in their way of, of of doing that is that is that the case well, it depends on the institution and the maturity of the institution. Uh, very often you have uh, good compliance functions which are also there to train and educate staff of the bank. And then it becomes a seamless process where uh, from the moment of the first contact with the client up until approval and after approval, you have uh, officers who are responsible, who are trained, who know how to detect any compliance issues and who would report only the suspicious events to the compliance function, which would then look into them and try to clarify them, mitigate them or recommend some course of action. Uh, in less developed institutions and scenarios, you have the, fir the first line of defense or the front office pushing back, saying you're stopping things uphill, you're, you're uh, setting obstacles to the business. We have been fighting for this transaction a long time and now you come with integrity issues at the end. But uh, EAB is a very, very mature institution and I'm happy to notice this. I've been with the bank for two and a half years and I can say that from my past experience, uh, the EAB is taking very good care of its reputation and the EAB is also training very well its employees to be aware of all these compliance issues. So in terms of compliance culture, I think that EAB has, has gone a long way compared to maybe some other institutions, which also reflects the special nature and the specific uh, mission and vision of the, of the institution. What about if I'm one of these companies that for some reason doesn't pass the compliance check? Do I find out why? Okay, so maybe if I can just say something in addition to what Bahanimir just said is that it's true, and at the same time, we never get boxes of chocolates at Christmas. Mm. <laughs> so it's a sign, you know? Right. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, okay, so on your question, I think um, there, are different, uh, there, there are different ways of seeing things. If you are before entering into business relationships, so you are at appraisal stage, um, and you do your your verification at the level of the first line of defense and something comes up and, and needs to be raised to the compliance department. And then we assess uh, this issue and depending on the gravity of the issue, it may be uh, that uh, we cannot enter into the business relationship, let's say, for example, for sanction purposes mm -hmm. or reasons. Uh, because there's a legal um, impediment to do so, or uh, we don't want to uh, enter into business relationship with that person for X, Y, Z reason. Then, in a way, we still have not um, uh, started the business relationship. So uh, there's no obligation whatsoever to, to mention, but it's a business decision. It's really not for compliance to decide. It's really for the business to decide, depending on, on, on what is the situation on a case-by-case -case basis with mm -hmm. this institution or this, uh, this company. Now, um, when we are in business relationship, with a, with a client, and it's, of course it's a different story, and it depends again on, on the gravity and the serious, seriousness of the, of the affair. But um, in principle, if there is an investigation going on, if there is really suspicions of uh, money laundering or financing of tourism, there is actually a, a, a legal uh, impediment to mention to the, uh, to the client that he is being investigated for money laundering or financing of tourism purposes. Mm -hmm. It's called a no tipping off rule. So you mm -hmm. cannot tip off your client. So. Mm. Okay. The no tipping off rule. No I tipping like that. off rule. Very good. So I, I saw a statistic, you know, Sophie, you mentioned that 2005 were the 
anti-money laundering. The third, the third directive. The third one, of course, the third my one. favorite one. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, since 2009, I saw a, a statistic that said that regulatory fees uh, are up 45%. So, you know, essentially they, that's the cost of compliance, really, is, you know, you either comply or you pay all these regulatory well it regulatory. could be fees meaning that the cost of compliance or it could be fines <laughs> uh, depending on I don't know exactly what what what, what this uh, was or on my handwriting as well maybe, which is hopefully yeah. it's fees <laughs> not fines <laughs> but in terms well the, the fines have increased as well in terms of numbers and frequency but I think in terms of uh, compliance costs it's definitely true that uh, uh, as I was saying before the uh, the compliance is becoming more and more important and the regulators are becoming stricter and stricter and so there is a need for more compliance to a certain level I think because we should not go overboard either because if you do more compliance in business then it doesn't work either so you have to find the right balance and uh, and it's true that there is a, an increase in the cost of compliance compliance officers are expensive who, who are the compliance officers? Are they lawyers, accountants? Who typically is a compliance officer? It really depends uh, from one organization to the other. I think at the beginning um, of the compliance uh, world, uh, it was managers, uh, CEOs or, or managers of uh, senior managers of, uh, of companies. Um, and then it become more specialized. Now you can find more and more certifications and and. and and trainings, etc., which uh, which really are much more professionalized than before. Uh, but I, I would say, yeah, mostly uh, lawyers, probably, I would say, uh, and I would say lawyers, and maybe some uh, people who would come from big accounting firms or uh, consultancy firms um, who would have knowledge of uh, audit and uh, internal audit, etc., as well. From a, from a public policy perspective, What's uh, what's the what's the public good behind uh, behind creating these you know, more and more stringent rules and regulations? I mean, part of it has to be with maintaining the health of a financial system, I imagine, and to make sure that banks stay financially healthy and kind of help them, uh, you know, keep their keep their business uh, healthy. Uh, partly, it's because uh, the, the public sector wants to make sure that they collect tax. I assume that's part of it. Are those the main drivers of, of this increased regulation on, on financial institutions? Well, the financial regulations have certainly increased since the outbreak of the financial crisis in 2008. There have been thousands and thousands of pages of new uh, regulations put in place in Europe alone, and uh, a significant part of compliance is also regulatory compliance and transposition of proper rules and observance of these rules, in particularly in financial institutions. On top of that, compliance is also about promoting ethical behavior, responsible behavior, promoting uh, clients and projects which uh, are responsible and do not have indicators of uh, fraud, uh, tax evasion, if you so wish, money laundering, financing of terrorism, and all those things which are either criminal or are either circumventing uh, the spirit of uh, the law. And, for example, recently we have seen uh, an expansion of the world of compliance here at uh, the European Investment Bank to also go into the area of tax compliance. So we are checking the soundness of uh, our operations for tax purposes. So we are checking whether tax good governance principles set by lead organizations worldwide are being observed in our operations. 
it's a very new, very dynamic, very enthusiastic area where we are contributing by promoting responsible tax behavior. And this uh, this has come with these uh, blacklists of countries where we uh, where we're not financing uh, companies. Well, we don't like to call them blacklists. There are several several lists of several organizations which are following up on particular jurisdictions' deficiencies in observing transparency, exchange of information uh, on tax, uh, which are. Uh, setting the standard for responsible behavior. There have been a number of initiatives uh, worldwide, uh, EU level, and most recently the European uh, Council has published a list of jurisdictions which do not meet these standards. There are frequent changes to the list and there are only seven jurisdictions in the world which do not meet these standards. But then you have also other leader organizations such as the OECD Global Forum, which are also standard setters and determining whether jurisdictions are doing well or not on transparency and, and, and tax compliance. So when we assess an operation, we also assess where the operation is located, where the shareholders are located, what is the reason for having interposed a company maybe in the structure in a jurisdiction which does not live up to the expectations on tax transparency, and whether this has any negative consequences on uh, taxes, whether taxes are not being paid properly, whether taxes are being avoided, whether there, there might be some tax fraud or double non-taxation because of specific agreements of a particular jurisdiction, and so on. So the expansion to enter into the area of tax meets also the requirements set forth by the shareholders of the bank, by the European Union's efforts, and globally also by OECD Global Forum and the BEPS initiative. So there are a number of initiatives out there trying to create a more sound and, and more responsible tax behavior in the world. Well, what's the BEPS initiative? Well, it's an initiative trying to address uh, base erosion profit shifting. So that means that you're trying to reduce your tax bill by using different mechanisms which are available through double taxation agreements, through loopholes in the tax system of, of different uh, jurisdictions, uh, some of which have been put in place with the desire to allow behavior which is maybe not living up to, to all these standards. And then you have other situations where a nation to attract investments has provided some tax holidays and some tax uh, incentives which might have a positive effect if not abused. So it's a very thin line between the two and uh, not always easy to distinguish and this is something that is looked into by the bank. Fantastic. Sophie, uh, thank you so much. I'm inspired now to go and uh, do the uh, anti-money laundering well, anti-money laundering training that I have to do. At least I said anti-money laundering. When I first took it, I referred to it as my money laundering training. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that, was, that was shut down pretty quickly. Uh, so I will go and take that. Did you take yours? I have to take mine. I think everyone at the bank has to complete their course by the end of the year, yes. Every year. You Every can, year. But after you do it the first time, you can do it light. Sometimes, which uh, at least if you're if you're making the podcast, not presumably if you're giving out money and all that sort of thing, but podcasters are allowed to do anti-money laundering light. So thank you guys, thank you so much for coming onto a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank. You can get in touch with us. You can tell us uh, your experiences with compliance, or you can just ask us uh, other questions that you'd like us to follow up with. Branimir and Sophie uh, at, at another stage. I'm uh, at EIB Matt, E I B M A T T. And I'm at Dollar Tankler, A L L A R T A N K L E R. And we'll see you uh, next week on the Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank. <laughs>